Hello everyone, welcome to What I Learned From. I'm the host, Forrest Stevens. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Danielle Simone Brand, who is a writer. She has written for all sorts of different publications, as well as she has uh, written and published her own book, which is called Weed Mom, and we talk about all things cannabis. This is a very interesting episode with all sorts of good information. Uh, this one will be interesting to you if you are interested in cannabis, parenting. We also touch on microdosing, uh, magic mushrooms, uh, a lot of mental health talk. Uh, we share some different experiences that we've had from cannabis. Uh, there's something for everybody in here. So without further ado, here's the episode. My name is Danielle Simone Brand, and I'm a writer, a cannabis journalist, an essayist, and the author of Weed Mom, which has a much longer title, <laughs> The Can of Curious Woman's Guide to Healthier Relaxation, happier parenting and chilling TF out or, you know, the F out. <laughs> and um, my, my background is a little bit varied. I went to graduate school for international peace and conflict resolution and worked in academia and research for a little bit and quickly burned out on that, to be honest, and found myself really craving my um, spiritual and physical practices that I had had in my life for a long time. So I became a yoga teacher then living in Washington, D.C., and ended up teaching yoga on Capitol Hill and all around um, D.C. to lobbyists and lawyers and policy folks, um, which was a really interesting way to, uh, you know, bring, <laughs> it was a really important place, I think, to bring yoga and to bring a little bit of self-reflection and um, encouraging people to slow down in that incredibly busy and stressful environment. Um, and so I was, and I was also writing uh, along the way, and I've been a staff writer for various publications. I worked in college as a staff writer as well for our progressive publication there. And um, so when I became, and then I became a mother around uh, 12, not around, in 2010. <laughs> and stayed home for a bit with my kids and also taught yoga and was writing and just kind of cobbling together lots of things. So this book came about because I was, I was freelancing about cannabis on one hand, and I was freelancing about parenting on another hand, completely separate beats mostly. <laughs> and then here and there, I'd be asked to write about how these two combine or how to talk to kids responsibly, things like that. And and as I became known as somebody who had some expertise in these two different areas, literally, you know, in my in-person community and online, people started coming to me, especially moms, you know, how do I figure out this new legal marketplace? What about CBD for anxiety? Can you go to the dispensary with me? Because I have no idea what to do there, you know, <laughs> all these sorts of things. And I realized there was hunger, need, um, interest for this kind of information, especially for women at a particular point in life when maybe they didn't feel they had the freedom to experiment as freely as they might have when they were younger before kids. And so I really wanted to like smooth that learning curve so that cannabis could be incorporated in a healthy way um, without, you know, overdoing it, without sort of taking any of the, the wrong steps that can lead people to not enjoy or benefit from cannabis. So that's in a super nutshell. And along the way, I had my own cannabis epiphany going from really disliking it and not understanding it to embracing it. So we can talk more about that if you want, but that's the nutshell. That's where I think I was going to head with that. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could go into that you just brought up, but the, the one that I'm kind of curious in is how did cannabis become um, sort of important to you to, to write about it for other people and then to combine with, the, with this book about parenting? Um, why cannabis? What, what, what was it about, about that for you? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question because honestly, for a while, I disliked it and misunderstood it. Um, my husband of now um, 18 years <laughs> um, uh, overused it. Honestly, I'll be I'll be honest there. And he he was self medicating without a lot of awareness as to how to do that properly, how to combine the different cannabinoids and not lean just on THC, that sort of thing. Um, and you know, this was obviously in prohibition times, and there just wasn't a lot of information or education out there about it. So it was just easy for, for folks if they had that tendency, I think, to overuse it or to, to misuse it in some ways. And, you know, that caused some tension between us. And, you know, when I first met him, I thought, okay, that's just part of what makes him who he is. And it didn't really bother me. But after some time, I realized that it it had some consequences for him professionally and in our personal relationship. So, you know, that's when I became kind of judgmental about it. <laughs> and he became, you know, he became more sort of private about it and so would hide it actually for me, his use. So it was a source of conflict for a little while, for, for quite a while, I would say. Um, and so I didn't, and, and when I had experimented myself with cannabis, I felt like there was no rhyme or reason to it. Sometimes I felt hungry, sometimes I felt spacey, sometimes I felt, you know, sociable and, you know, giggly. So again, lack of education around how to, how to properly consume it and what to look for with cannabinoids and terpenes and dosage and all that stuff. Um, so because of that, I stayed away from it for quite a while. Um, and honestly, I fell into it from this intellectual perspective because I got assignments as a freelance writer on cannabis on the newly emerging legal marketplace living in california at the time we voted in 2016 to legalize and then it actually took um, effect in january 2018 so this was around the time i was starting my freelancing career again in 2017 beginning of 2018 and cannabis assignments were just easy you know plentiful <laughs> and so i started mm -hmm. writing about it just not caring much you know for the topic and feeling like okay well here's something i can do to make a little money on the side while i'm looking for what i want to write about and i legit fell in love with it hmm. what were because, you wanting to write about at the time well i was wanting to write a lot about um, yoga meditation spirituality conscious parenting okay. gentle parenting things like that which i still have a lot of interest in too um, but you know, cannabis kind of crept up on me and then I, I, I love it because it, it bridges policy and politics and social justice and obviously science, health and wellness, um, you know, social relationships, fun culture, you know, all these things. And so writing about it, interviewing people about how much it had helped them in their own lives, whether it was medically or for wellness purposes, or just to relax and have fun without alcohol. Um, you know, these are, these really captured my fascination. So I had, uh, I decided to just try out legal cannabis on my own on my yoga mat. <laughs> very first experience, um, you know, not very first, but very first, I would say sort of adult experience in cannabis okay. and, um, you know, took a low dose, got on my mat and really felt deeply embodied. I felt like, you know, really present, really there really able to access the depths within me and i realized oh my gosh I, i've been missing out this is excellent this is a tool <laughs> wow that's awesome yeah. yeah so um i found actually one of the articles that you'd written i can't remember what yoga um journal it was for but something some sort of yoga something or other and uh i've been doing like kundalini yoga now for about eight months every day and combining it with mm -hmm. cannabis use and I found an article that you had written about 
Um, cause the, the, the yoga I do is very like chakra based. So I saw an article you wrote about specific cannabis strains to use with, uh, certain, I think yoga practices for chakras. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was interesting because there wasn't much other articles about that or information about that I found online. Um, but there was actually like, so, so maybe tell me a little bit about how does the research for you, because even just, um, briefly reading a bit of, uh, weed mom, I, I, I realized that there's a lot of research that actually goes into your writing. Um, how does, how does that come about? How do you, how do you work? Um, how do you work on this, on these, uh, on these articles and, and whatnot that you're writing? Oh, good question. It's, you know, it's a multi-step process, I think. Um, you know, I like to educate myself sort of broadly on a topic and then dive into specifics. So first I'll just Google and see what's out there, see what people are saying, comparing and contrasting, knowing that what we find on the internet is not always true. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, um, and then I usually find an expert and, and interview them or two or three or more. Um, I'm lucky that there are, it's just an emerging field of cannabis experts now, you know, not just doctors and nurses, although they're good, um, you know, points of contact and, and good resources, but, you know, people who are just doing clinical research, um, people who are, uh, have been immersed in the culture for a long time, growers, cultivators, people who are now less afraid to show themselves publicly, be quoted first and last name, you know, all that stuff. Like there's, there's just more accessibility now when it comes to that. Um, and then of course I read the research, um, that pertains to what I'm writing about. If there is, um, if it's about strains for your chakras. There's no research on that, obviously, <laughs> no clinical trials. But if I'm talking about, um, you know, a specific medical use for cannabis, um, you know, things that we can measure and study objectively to some degree, then I will definitely um, dive into that too. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me. Um, there's a, it almost seems to be like the immediate question in my mind when it comes to parenting and cannabis is how do you bring those two together in a way that, um, that works, you know, like how, like, and, and I'm, and I'm wondering about your life a little bit and maybe, um, how, how you maybe inform your kids about your cannabis use, or do you talk to your kids about that? And then I'm also curious on that same note to know what your upbringing was a little bit with cannabis, like what was your initial ideas of it, even as a kid, um, was mm. there some stigma? Like, I, I feel like cannabis is one of like, like, you know, I, I think they did a pretty good job demonizing cannabis at one point. Like, I think everybody has <laughs> at least a little bit of stigma still in their head about it. Like, mm. I know I do, and I'm, I've been using cannabis for years and I still like, still like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. Maybe, you know, at times. Right. So, um, yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Our heads have been colonized with anti-cannabis stuff. That's yeah. for sure. Um, it's, it's a process of letting go of that. And actually in my Canamom communities now, we talk about that quite a lot, sort of how we're shedding that conditioning when it comes to, you know, how we were raised about to think about cannabis. Um, growing up in Hawaii, there's a pretty strong cannabis culture there, but it, it, I was not really immersed in it. I, you know, just 
had my own interests and culture and stuff growing up and but but I was aware of it and there was definitely like a oh those are the stoner kids kind of feel um to you know to to those who did um consume and I wish that there had obviously been more education and more normalization not necessarily that I think it's a great idea for teens to use it heavily um it's probably not like for developing brains but you know it's not the worst thing out there that is for sure and there are ways that I think teens even this is maybe controversial but I think there are even ways for teens to use it medicinally and mindfully too so you know I wish we had had some more education around it my parents um didn't talk about it too much besides um, I knew that my mom had tried it as a teenager and sort of had too much hash and felt afraid and you know didn't just didn't have a good experience and so I generally kind of stayed away for the most part you know here and there I would experiment um, and in college same thing here and there I did experiment um, but yeah I, I internalized the stoner stereotypes basically that it meant you were lazy and wouldn't get anything done with your life and uh, you know couldn't hold a conversation <laughs> that sort of thing um, and so I had to you know I had to unlearn that and really when I had that cannabis epiphany I call it on my yoga mat mm -hmm. that was when like the light bulb switched on and I was like oh yeah there are different ways to use this plant <laughs> right <laughs> just like everything else you know we can use things properly and healthfully or we can dip into overuse you know there are just all sorts of possibilities so how do I talk to my kids about cannabis I do talk to them a lot um they're eight and eleven in part because you know I wrote a book called weed mom and anyone who Googles me can <laughs> associate my name with cannabis. So I have to kind of like get ahead of it with them. Right. And also with their, you know, the parents of their friends, because again, you know, people Google each other these days when they meet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a thing. Um, you know, so what I want them to understand about it is that first of all, it's a plant. It grows in the ground. We can't grow up where we live currently, but I do show them photos of it and, I, and I've shown them actual dried cured bud and you know, this is what it is, this is what it smells like. Um, you know, so that they, they don't feel like it's something like weird and foreign and inaccessible and totally like unfathomable. It's a plant. Mm -hmm. They're familiar with food plants, they're familiar with herbs that we grow, you know, and so I say this is something medicinal that I use to help me with migraines, that I use to help me sleep that um, I can shift my mood consciously when I want to be a better parent, honestly, when I want to connect, not when I'm driving or taking them to activities or whatever, but when we're just home and, and the point is connection, cannabis really does help me shift into more of a childlike state of mind and being. So when I tell them how it helps me and how, you know, it supports me as a human and a mom, they're like, oh, cool. You know, that's, they see it as medicine. They see it as something helpful. Um, and I don't, I don't just use it as medicine. I also use it as recreation, but they understand that um, some parents drink and some parents, you know, smoke cigarettes or whatever. And I don't do any of that, but I do consume cannabis and hang out with my family on Saturday night. And they, you know, it's pretty normal for them at this point. Um, I also tell them that uh, it's not good for developing brains. And so, you know, at least, you know, it's a nuanced conversation that we'll continue to, to go through as they get older. But generally speaking, delaying use is probably better. Moderating use when you do consume also is good. And, you know, I want them to, to actually trust me for good information about it. So I try not to fear monger or say, like, you know, anything that isn't true. 
Yeah, right. I, I feel like that would be something that parents would potentially worry about is like, oh, if I keep talking about this, it's going to it's going to become something attractive to them. Um, I'm just going to introduce them earlier than they would already be introduced to it or something like that. But I think if it comes along with, like you said, just like education and, and the, the idea that this is more of a more of an, an, an adult activity, whether it's only adults using it or not, it's, it's more of like when you're really kind of making more and more decisions on your own, if this is something that lines up with you and works with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so I guess it's, the idea is to sort of normalize it and, and bring away any of the fear and just talk about it in general, just talk yes. about it. Exactly. Just talk about it and continue talking about it. Just like all the sort of hard conversations or, you know, things that maybe people have some awkwardness or discomfort talking to their kids about. It's not like a one-time thing. Sit down. I'm going to tell you all about cannabis now. You know, it's right. more just we, we work it into everyday life and, you know, and again, just reinforcing the simple messages. It's a plant. It's helpful for, you know, many adults, either medically or for fun and relaxation, but it's not really good for your brain until you're older. And talk to me if, if your friends start talking about it. And, and, you know, my kids are eight and 11, almost actually almost nine and 12. So we're not quite in that territory of friends are into cannabis, but at some mm -hmm. point that might happen. And I, you know, I just want my, I want there to be open dialogue. I think it's cool that you brought up uh, showing them the plants and really saying like, this is a plant, like literally it's flowers. Uh, like the, the way they harvest lavender is this is the same process of harvesting cannabis. Um, they, they extract lavender oil. You can extract cannabis oil. You know, it's like these things are very similar. Um, yeah, and they that, share terpenes and scents. And that's another cool way to talk about it because the terpenes do affect us and yeah, I mean, I, I think using medicinal plants is just part of our life anyway. We, we grow basil, we grow mint, we grow sage, we grow different things that we can incorporate either into our food or, you know, as medicine when needed. Um, so I think it just kind of continues in that vein. But obviously, I teach them there needs to be more caution around cannabis than mint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Not going to get too wild on some peppermint. Um, so you, you mentioned it a little bit. Um, but what do you like about cannabis? Hmm. Interesting. Actually, I don't think I've been asked that specifically before. <laughs> I've been asked how it helps me. Um, you know, so I mean, beyond the whole medical use, because I do use it for, like I said, migraines and, and sleep is a wellness use in my view, because it's not, I don't have like clinical insomnia, but I do sleep a lot better with, with cannabis in my life. Um, but what do I like about it? What I love about, and my favorite way to consume is inhalation, um, you know, smoking cannabis, it's, it's how it really brings me deeply and, uh, and fully into my body and into the present moment. It heightens my sensation, physical, mental, emotional, heightens my sensitivity. And so instead of just like being in my head and on this loop and like, you know, go, go, go caffeinated, like there my to-do list, I, I just, I get that moment to be, to settle. And I can do that other ways too. You know, you, you're a yogi, so you get that. <laughs> um, but it also, it, it meshes with 
these other lifestyle tools that I have with yoga, with nutrition, with, um, you know, just mindful living in general. So I think it enhances my mindfulness and enhances my sensation and it makes, it helps me feel good. I think that, you know, because our endocannabinoid systems are pretty freaking stressed out since the world is crazy, um, that little bit of cannabis to supplement on a regular basis helps me feel just more like myself, more like my ideal self, like that settled, grounded, calm and aware person that I want to be. Interesting. So in one way, it's just uh, sort of one of the tools in your tool belt for connection and, and being more yourself and, and in the moment. Definitely, right? yeah. definitely. And I know we're not really talking about it today, but I heard your episode about microdosing uh, mushrooms. And I think that there are very, some very similar effects to me more because I also microdose psilocybin, um, you know, a little more subtle than the cannabis, you know, it depends on the dose, obviously, but uh, it's, yeah, very similar. Helps me feel like a, the, the version of myself that I'm, that I'm able to be when I'm rested, well-fed, um, just, you know, feeling my best, but accessing that on a more regular basis. Right. So um, in that, I wonder if, uh, if you've seen any experiences where it becomes, um, it sort of ends up replacing some of these other, uh, these other tools that we have for connection and, and, and feeling better. Um, where somebody might kind of lean on it a little bit too much. Like there's a lot of people I think who, you know, if you really kind of look into their stories, it's like, what were they doing when they were smoking weed? It maybe already wasn't very helpful situation or events that they were participating with cannabis in, but um, they end up finding that when they quit, they're, they're sort of able to get their life more on track. Um, and everybody's individual and everybody's different, but uh, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, on sort of leaning too much onto something like cannabis, if that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have insight into that because that was my husband for, for a long time. And he has come to, you know, we've been through an interesting dance with cannabis where he consumed and I didn't. And then for a while we both did, and then he was on and off with it. And now he has decided it doesn't serve him. It really doesn't help him with his, you know, how he wants to be and his life goals and all that. Whereas it really helps and supports me. <laughs> so, you know, I do see that it is individual in that regard. Um, I, I think that there were patterns that, you know, the, for many people who develop overuse, um, the, the patterns tend to start pretty early, I noticed, and um, seem to come from like some str struggle in that teenage and early adulthood time. Um, you know, mental health issues that maybe are not being addressed um, in other ways, or, you know, just, just all the things we, we all have stuff, whether it's social anxiety or depression or PTSD or whatever it is. Um, and I think that it's really easy to medicate with cannabis for those things because it gives you an immediate benefit, right? It helps you feel better in the short term. Yeah. But if, if people are only relying on that, then like you were saying, it tends to turn and it tends to sort of not help them feel better in the moment as much and certainly be detrimental to their long-term mental health. I mean, and you know, the research tends to back this up that for mental health specifically, cannabis in low doses tends to be really helpful. And then past a certain phase, it tends to exacerbate the same things that was supposed to be helping like anxiety or depression. 
Okay. So yeah, maybe let's get into a little bit more of that because like I can speak from personal experience. Um, uh, when I was younger, I'd be able to just consume as much weed as I ever wanted to without any consequences. And then I, I sort of hit, uh, a few roadblocks in my life in, in, um, uh, in my early adulthood and, and it started triggering panic attacks essentially. And I had to stop completely. And then I sort of had to start really respecting it a lot more than I was and understanding, oh, this is a really powerful substance. This isn't something you just do casually. Um, and, and with that, I started kind of using like, like smaller doses and finding huge benefits from it. Um, and then my tolerance has shifted since then, but, um, yeah, maybe, uh, just from some of the research you've done or some of the knowledge you have, maybe talk on that point a little bit, what is going on there with, uh, with, um, certain people getting affected at different times in their life or, or is this just like unrealized anxiety that's coming up or these underlying mental health problems? Like what is, what is. Why does somebody sort of have like a bad trip from cannabis use maybe? Ooh, well, that's, <laughs> I don't know if I can a hundred percent answer that to be honest. <laughs> we need to study. Yeah. Well, <laughs> these, these are big, these research. are big questions for sure. Yeah. But, you know, I think that some of the factors that contribute, I mean, first of all, there probably are some genetic predisposition factors um, that we don't totally understand yet. Um, there's also differences in the way that we metabolize cannabinoids. So, you know, some people are extremely affected by, let's say, two and a half milligrams of THC, whereas others can't feel anything under like 25 milligrams, let's say. And I know people who take 100 milligrams of THC in an edible. Um, mm. That's not something that I can do <laughs> or would want to, to be honest. Um, so, you know, our, our sensitivity to cannabinoids does vary quite a bit. Um, and then everyone's endocannabinoid system. That's the internal, the endogenous system that, um, first of all, produces cannab you know, cannabis-like substances in our own bodies. Like, you know about this, right? Mm -hmm. We have, yeah, we have endocannabinoids. So when we get the runner's high, for instance, from intense exercise, those are endocannabinoids being released in our system, anandamide in particular, which comes from Sanskrit, ananda or bliss. And that is, um, you know, they, they help us feel good. It's a euphoric feeling. So our endocannabinoid system creates internal cannabinoids that help us um, come back to homeostasis and feel even euphoric if we get kind of a high dose of them. Cannabis basically is just, it's a phytocannabinoid. It's another form of what our bodies actually make on their own, but in higher doses. And so that's why we take in THC, we can feel euphoric for a longer period of time, maybe then, you know, if we get that runner's high. Um, although not necessarily, some of those natural highs last, last a long time, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so I would say that it really depends on, you know, whether your body is already making its endogenous cannabinoids efficiently and well or not. There are people who have what's being explored as um, like a clinical deficiency oh, in endogenous yeah. cannabinoids. And for those people, it's potentially even, you know, really beneficial to supplement with cannabis. Again, right doses, right times, all that stuff. Um, you know, there are certain like autoimmune diseases as well as migraines that are being investigated as potentially linked to an endocannabinoid deficiency. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, but, um, you know, so I think there's, there's genetic factors that predispose some folks to having, um, 
you know, being more sensitive to cannabis, our metabolism does vary. And also, you know, I think cannabis is a psychedelic in its own, you know, subtle way. And so set and setting, just like right. with other psychedelics, if you're taking a macro, you know, a macro dose, I think that that matters. And the way that we're caring for ourselves, our mindset, the intention with, with, which, we, with which we consume, all that matters. Because if you take a high dose of THC and go out to a chaotic place where you don't know people and feel uncomfortable, you're not going to have a good trip. <laughs> right. So yep. that's important. Yeah. I think you, I think you nailed it there. That really connected with me because I'm actually like thinking back to any times where I've had sort of like a really chaotic uh, experience from it. And it's always been like something was going on internally in my mindset or, uh, or it was not a place that I wanted to be in physically and I needed to remove myself. And then when I did, I was able to sort of calm down or whatever, you know? So I yeah. think, um, yeah. And that's, that comes back again, I guess, to when I was able to start consuming it again, that, that was something that was important to me was, um, was just sort of respecting it more like that. That is what I mean by respecting it is just like understanding like, oh, I'm about to embark or I'm about to just like change my situation a little bit. So make sure that my set and setting is, is, is right and ready to go. Definitely. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, I, I do have a, a question for you. Um, what do you, what, if any, like, do you, do you have any words of caution when it comes to cannabis? Yeah. Well, you know, my, my, Consumption advice in the book, it starts really, really low and goes really slow. You know, that's the motto, right? Start low and go slow um, because it is geared toward moms in particular who, like I said earlier, just have less room for trial and error in terms of, you know, everyday life and how they feel because we have other people to take care of. Um, and so, you know, starting extremely low means that you may not actually get to your benefits for a little while until you work your way up slowly and find your, you know, minimum effective dose. But that's my main caution is just don't, you know, don't jump in and, and consume too much. <laughs> it's about, you know, dose really matters. Um, also paying attention to how you want to consume and how it affects you differently. Say if you inhale or take a tincture or take an edible or, you know, use a topical or a salve or whatever, like these are different effects um, and different you know, reasons that you might, you might consume those ways. So paying attention to your dose, paying attention to your, um, to your product set and setting, as we talked about before, those are, you know, really basic cautions that I have around it that, it just help you have ease in and have a good experience the first time and, and not overdo it. And then, you know, just the sort of the broader caution I would say that I have about cannabis is like we've been talking about already, it's possible to overconsume or to, to lean on it as your self-care or as your you know, means for connection. And it should be, in my view, it should be one of an array of tools that you have an array of practices and not just like tools, like I'm going to take something and feel different, but actually practices things that you get, you know, your body and your mind into like meditation, like yoga, like nature therapy or whatever, you know, spending time outside works for you and feeds your soul. So yeah, those are the main things. Start low and go slow and just be mindful of its place in your life. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree that, um, cannabis use pairs very well with most other like self-care uh 
practices. It's like, yeah, it, it amplifies it. I mean, that's what I find in general cannabis does for me is that it amplifies whatever's already happening. Um, so, you know, self-care is a great thing, amplifies it up, gets it going. But um, one thing I didn't hear you mention, but I'm curious to, to know uh, about your opinion on is um, uh, what about strains? Because uh, to me, sort of learning about strains and, you know, there wasn't really like everybody just said, oh, this is some kush, this is blue kush or whatever in, in, uh, in when I was young. But um, now, like kind of getting into strains, I found that they became very important to me as well, understanding which ones and when. And, um, you know, it's legal uh, to grow some where I live here in Canada. So I grew um, some plants intentionally with um, strains in mind and the cultivation techniques in mind as well to get mm -hmm. a quality product that I really kind of believe in and trust. And I found that that, that is just complete game changer for me. Um, yeah, maybe you could just tell me some of your thoughts about uh, the importance of strains. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, that is an avenue that's really opening up, I think, right now in terms of both uh, research and consumer education, specifically about terpenes, because, you know, so what, what makes a strain? You have the THC content, you have the CBD content, you have whatever other minor cannabinoids might be in there to, you know, a small degree. And then you have terpenes, that's sort of the next level. And um, so there are terpenes, and, and for those of your uh, viewers who may not know, terpenes are like the aromatic compounds within cannabis plant that give it its distinct uh, smell, scent. And cannabis shares a lot of terpenes with um, other common plants, you know, pine. hops, pine, mint, basil, citrus, mango. Um, and so different terpenes present in, in are, are present in different quantities in the plants. Sorry, I was getting a call, so I was like distracted and turned over there. <laughs> right. And um, so, so one strain might be high in a terpene that is associated with an uplifting or, you know, depression lifting or energetic kind of feeling. Limonene is one of those, the one that is shared with citrus, like lime and lemon and, you know, orange and all that. Then there are terpenes that are associated with a really deep, mellow relaxation kind of experience, more like myrcene. And myrcene is earthy and um, kind of that skunky uh, smell that comes with cannabis often. And um, so that's a terpene. If, if you have a high, like a dominance of myrcene in your cannabis, it's probably going to make you sleepy and hungry <laughs> and relax. And then there's like all sorts of things in between, you know, terpenes that are better for focus, terpenes that are better for um, relaxing without being sleepy, you know, and everything in between. But the thing is, there's not an exact science as to how this all hits us. And so I think that everyone really, instead of relying on strain names or even what they say the terpene profile is, just keeping track, you know, keeping a strain journal saying, okay, this is what I tried. This is how it tasted to me even. This is what I smelled in it. And this is how I, I felt. The other thing that's really helpful in terms of consuming mindfully for what your body needs is if you have some options of cannabis in front of you, take a deep sniff of each one and let it hit your limbic system, your emotional you know, system associated with a sense of smell. And if it like resonates and feels and smells good to you at that moment, it's probably gonna be supportive of your system. Hmm. your endocannabinoid system. So 
uh, yeah, so, and there's a lot more about terpenes in my book because they're, you know, somewhat subtle and varied. Um, but so, the, and the other thing is that strains don't entirely, uh, are not entirely reliable, strain mm -hmm. names. Yeah. So a blue dream I get in California may be really different from what you find in, you know, in Ontario. So it's more about like, even beyond strains, it's like finding the individual uh, cannabinoid and terpene profiles that work for you or growing your own that you've honed in. Um, so unfortunately, it's like a little bit of a trial and error process, I think, at this point in time, because we're still learning about cannabis science. Yeah, that's that's fascinating stuff. Um, yeah. I, I do have a question that you partially answered. Um, you mentioned there was sort of a, a market that you were observing of, of uh, some like a gap in information for specifically with cannabis and parenting and moms specifically. Um, maybe you can just tell me a little bit more about why moms? Why did you choose to try to help moms with, with this information? Yeah, and well, I think the first reason is that that's, that's the experience I'm living right now and <laughs> being yeah. a mother and uh, it, it it defines my the way that I show up in the world very much because in everything that I do in my career and my personal interactions, I'm thinking, okay, what are the effects on my kids and how will this affect my parenting, my ability to show up for them the way I want to. Um, and I think that I, so I observed in myself a, I observed in myself that, that cannabis supported me in very specific ways as a mom. It supported me in um, shifting moods so I could uh, create and play with them better. It supported mm. me in getting a good night's sleeps, but I, you know, didn't feel impatient in the mornings. Um, it helps me with, um, obviously with pain, with migraines, with muscle aches and pains. So all that improves my quality of life, which improves my parenting. And so I, I realized there are a lot of moms who could use this too, because we're, you know, similar ages, similar boats, trying to, you know, Ex extend ourselves professionally while, you know, providing this caretaking role. And it, it's hard. It takes a toll. Um, and I also saw a lot of moms and I still continue to see a lot of moms really leaning on alcohol, um, which I think is, you know, a part of the culture. It's very acceptable. Mommy needs a glass of wine, all that stuff, but it's actually pretty detrimental. And most most people who drink um, or who rely on alcohol to relax or change their mood on a regular basis find they get you know, they don't feel good. They get headaches, the, the sugar cravings start, you know, mood swings. It's not good for our sleep, all that stuff. So I just, I thought, you know what, cannabis is much healthier. If you're just going to make a simple switch and even not like embrace the whole lifestyle of cannabis, it's still better. Yeah, that's true. I find <laughs> it more interesting too. Like, you know, there's people that are kind of obsessed with wine and the smell and the taste and all that, but like the effect doesn't really vary. It's just alcohol pretty much when it comes down to it. Um, but I don't know, cannabis is much more interesting to me. You know, the, you get the smell, the taste, the sensation, it's all different. And, um, the results, yeah, of course, I mean, to me, it's just a no brainer, um, as far it as is. versus alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're right. Like so much more subtle and varied than I think most people realize. Most people think like weed is weed and, you know, they, because prohibition just, cut out all of that like access to information and education and you know now we're learning more and now we're learning that the plants actually take on the you know soil characteristics of where they're grown just like wine you know the terroir part of it um so yeah super fascinating and and 
it's a great time to be in it because we're just learning all the time. The science is advancing and the sort of aggregate anecdotal evidence keeps building because we have people willing to talk about it now. Right. So, yeah, I guess that leads into my next question of where do you think it's kind of going from here? The, the cannabis industry and uh, and maybe consumers um, idea of cannabis. Yeah, well, I mean, I can speak for the U.S. to a degree, um, and I, I do talk to Canadian cannabis too, so I have a, a little bit of a sense of what it's like there. And I think that there are parallels, even though it's federally federally legal where you are, which is a huge difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but where do I think it's going? So I think that cannabis is absolutely still on this upward trajectory in terms of um, accept, you know, acceptability acceptance <laughs> and accessibility. <laughs> I was trying to combine those two words. <laughs> um, and that it's, you know, it's becoming slowly introduced into the mainstream. Like it's still kind of a joke, I think, in the mainstream, like, oh, weed instead of wine, ha ha ha, that, that would be fun for a night. Mm -hmm. um, but the conversations are becoming a little bit more subtle, more complex, a little deeper. And right. um, so, yeah, I think that we're just, we're on that trajectory. I think that access is going to continue to improve across the U.S. right now. Even in legal states, there are many places where they can just vote no cannabis, like no shops. Like it's not, oh, yeah. it's not illegal, but there can be no shops. Right. Like within the, the community itself or something. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and that, and that's hard. That's frustrating for people, but I think that accessibility is growing. There are more licenses being distributed, more shops opening, more states coming online all the time. I think we will have federal legalization here too. Um, they tease us with it, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not, not quite yet. Um, and I, I hope what I want to see for the industry going forward is that we can create not just like, you know, another big business, big, huge money maker for, you know, tobacco and alcohol type companies, but like a better industry that focuses on environmental sustainability as part of its you know ethos i think that since it's a consumer driven industry right now and there are so many people wanting to get into the cannabis business that if customers if consumers say we want you know better grown cannabis we want you know organic and sun grown if possible we want um you know cannabis grown by people who were affected negatively by the drug war and who can now maybe profit and build generational wealth um, on that. So I would just, I want to see a more um, equitable and just and environmentally sustainable cannabis industry. And I think, I hope we can help create that if we make those decisions now as consumers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a fantastic vision. I mean, there's always the potential of, like you said, you know, the big companies like, um, like the tobacco and, and all that getting into it. And, and um, yeah, it's really on us to sort of as consumers to demand, um, demand to know what's going on with what we consume. Uh, and it, it's, it's easy enough to make quality cannabis and to grow quality cannabis. So hopefully that's what we see more of, um, drawing mm -hmm. on, drawing on some, maybe some parallels here of, uh, you mentioned, um, psilocybin mushrooms there for a minute. Um, what kind of parallels do you see with the sort of the rise in popularity of practices like microdosing or just even the sort of, um, there's another side to the story of, of magic mushrooms now with, uh, more clinical studies being done with, um, either end of life patients who are, are doing the, um, assisted psychotherapy or just general 
assisted psychotherapy with um, psilocybin. Um, maybe you can just talk a little bit about these, the, the, the parallels to where cannabis is and where, where the acceptance of this is. And um, yeah, just some of your general thoughts on, on uh, psilocybin mushrooms would be great to hear. Sure. Uh, well, it's pretty fascinating that decriminalization is happening, like just in little pockets all over the U.S. right now, some East Coast, some West Coast, we've definitely got movements happening and actual progress. So that's pretty cool. There's kind of a joke for among people who really look at these industries, the cannabis and the psychedelics industries here in the U.S., that that psychedelics, certain ones like psilocybin and, um, and MDMA, for instance, might like actually be more thoroughly studied and more easy to and easier to study right now than cannabis. Cannabis is still so hard to study in the U.S. Oh, yeah. And up until really, really recently, all of it had to come from one place in one farm at the University of Missouri that was growing like the worst cannabis ever. <laughs> and you, you, they had to like researchers had to use that cannabis if they were going to get approval. Really? So yeah, makes no wow. sense. Whereas there's actually a pretty, um, you know, it's still new, but um, becoming a pretty robust area, right? Psychedelics research out of major universities mm -hmm. right now. Um, so I think that acceptance of both is definitely on the rise. Um, and, you know, a, a just a growing realization that these are not just, um, you know, check out or have fun or go party drugs, that these are actually therapeutic substances that, you know, if, if used properly, if used mindfully can really help people. Um, there might even be more acceptance that psychedelics can do that than cannabis among some people. I think, there, I think there is actually, that's what I've run into as well. Like when I talk about combining cannabis with uh, yoga for these kind of amazing experiences that are reminiscent uh, to psychedelic experiences that I've had. It's just mm -hmm. like, like the people are like, whoa, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like cannabis, like it barely does anything. And it's like, no, it, it's pretty, pretty powerful, I think, actually as a healing tool. Um, yeah. And people sort of uh, overlook it for for things like magic mushrooms, which are uh, easily very um, uh, helpful as well, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And there's growing interest in microdosing. People are, you know, people you never would have expected are starting to microdose and talk about it now from, of course, like Silicon Valley type, you know, coders and executives who are like, this is a productivity hack. That's like mm -hmm. one way I suppose to use it. And then, you know, all the way to, I just want to feel more happier in my skin and, and be a better person in the world, like, you know, and everything in between. So yeah, it's a pretty fascinating time to be part of all this. I think I write sure for, is. you know, in addition to writing Weed Mom, I write for Double Blind Magazine, which is a psychedelic mag. Yeah. Right. So you wrote a, uh, you wrote a piece about psilocybin for, for, um, double blind, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. I wrote a few. Mm -hmm. So where can people check that out if they're interested in hearing more about the psychedelic? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, double blind mag, and then, um, just like search there for either my name or for psilocybin. There's a lot of articles on psilocybin, um, or they can find me on Instagram. And then I have a link to you know most of my recent publications in my bio and I'm at Danielle Simon brand on Instagram. All right. Um, I have one more question as well. Um, yeah. I have a lot of uh, sort of realizations and epiphanies when I consume cannabis. And I'm just curious, um, is that something that you experience um, with your use at all? 
Yes, definitely. I mean, I think that they come in two varieties. One is the like ideas, <clears throat> ideas and kind of like inspiration variety. And the other is just like that, that sort of well-being, you know, realization of connectedness and openness and, you know, that underlying oneness that I think is part of many people's spiritual, uh, you know, philosophy and definitely mine. So yeah, I, I can get great ideas. Sometimes I'm just working on a working on a writing piece. And I'm not really sure where it's going, or I'm not really, you know, I'm a little stuck. And cannabis and a walk outside, either in nature or even just in my neighborhood, can you know it just loosens things up and it helps you form new connections. And I really appreciate that about it. But then yeah, it also helps me take in natural beauty and just feel good in the moment and feel happy and alive. And that's wonderful too. That's awesome. And um, so you mentioned, yeah, just one more time, mention your Instagram and your book. Um, where can people find your book, Weed Mom? Sure. Yeah. And on Instagram, I'm at Danielle Simone Brand, my full name. And my book, Weed Mom, is available basically any, any place online that you buy books, the big A, I don't have to name. And um, <laughs> do you have a website as well? or I do. Yeah. Um, I don't sell the book through my website, but I have links. And that's just my name also, DanielleSimoneBrand.com. Great. Well, thanks so much, Danielle, for talking with me today. Thank uh, you, Boris. It was great hearing from you. Yeah, awesome. I really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. Thanks everybody for watching and listening. I hope you guys gained something. I know I learned a lot. I learned um, that there's a lot to know about cannabis. There's, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on and um, I'm hopeful as I talked about and as, as uh, Danielle talked about and touched on for the future of cannabis and the acceptance um, in the broad uh, public and the destigmatization de of it uh, is also something that's interesting. And um, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to know and so much to learn uh, about this substance. And I think it's highly, I think cannabis is one of those things where it's both extremely overrated in some ways and extremely underrated. Um, it's overrated because everybody thinks they know what it is and it's uh, got this idea of a typical stoner. Um, it's in culture, but it's underrated because of its uh, huge healing potential in my in my eyes. And, you know, it's actively doing that across the world. It's helping people. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, if you guys are interested in a little bit more, um, there's, of course, previous episodes of what I learned from, as well as I do a Patreon-only podcast called Tripping, where I go through some of my past writings and I just read out one of my insights um, from my from this book that I'm working on called Tripping, and we break it down line from line. And I talk about maybe the mindset I was in when I when I wrote it. Um, you know, there's there's there there's thoughts and insights, so they're not really you know concrete beliefs of mine. So I. I really get into that. I, I disagree with some of the thoughts I've had. I see where I was. It's, it's an interesting um, show. And uh, I think you guys, if you like this podcast episode, I think you'll really like the Tripping Podcast, which is only on Patreon. And that link is in the description as well. So hopefully you guys will check that out and support, you know, all the money goes to support this channel and, and all the work that uh, Emily and I are doing here. So thanks everybody for watching, listening, supporting. You guys are great. And we'll see you on the next episode.